Insights and wisdom lie within every business decision. Welcome to the Leaders by Ivy podcast, where we discover hidden narratives and unlock key learnings for our own leadership and career journeys. Hey, I'm Matt Quinn. If you're looking to lead in the not-for-profit sector and want to hear about all of the amazing benefits of this, you need to stay tuned. This time on the Leaders by Ivy podcast, we're joined by Melanie Thomas, HBA 11 and Senior Director of Emerging Opportunities for the Community Foundations of Canada. I hope that you enjoy and take away all of the many ways that you can get involved. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Melanie, could you maybe, for those that haven't had a chance to meet you or check out your bio on Instagram, tell us a little bit about yourself and what's your connection with Ivy? Yeah, happy to. Well, first of all, just thank you so much for having me. Um, it's such an honor to come back and to talk uh, to my to my alma mater. And so my name is Melanie Thomas. I graduated from Ivy as an HBA 11, which time is ticking. And I think I'm very close to my tenure, which is wild. Um, after Ivy, I finished my business and then I went directly to law. And so I'm definitely fulfilling the millennial stereotype of flipping through industries. So I got my license, was called to the bar in Ontario, and then I immediately went into banking and I did that for a few years while doing some work overseas and in international development. And then I landed in philanthropy in Canada. And so I just love new opportunities. And so um, my role right now is, is kind of my dream job. I'm, I'm in charge of emerging opportunities. So um, every day, um, just looking at things we've never done before and try to see how we can scale them and um, create more social impact. But my personal life, I love traveling. It's, you know, this is not the time of life where you get to do that. So I just dream about traveling, um, love salsa dancing and connecting with friends. So yeah, that's a little bit who I am. Now, I want to come back to something because you kind of glossed over it. So originally law and then banking and then international development. There's got to be a theme here. You mentioned that uh, sometimes it's a generational thing to try, want to try a bunch of new things. What has led you to, to want to try all these different things to, to land where you are today? Yeah, you know, it, it sounds very sporadic. Um, and I can't say that I had planned every move ahead of time. But um, when I was a kid, my parents took me to India, which is um, kind of my motherland. And it was at seven, I was first exposed to what poverty can look like. And so as a kid, that always just impacted my thinking and, you know, what's my role? What, what am I going to do about it? I've seen something, you can't just forget what you've seen. And so actually coming to business school was a very intentional decision to say, I'm not sure how that's going to play out in more of an international or social, social space. But I think that there's some really tangible skills that I can get from business that I can apply there. And then similarly in law. And so I, I've been kind of bouncing in my career so far between very corporate work and then very social work. And until I landed in philanthropy, which was this kind of beautiful in-between where you're dealing with money, you know, philanthropy, their kind of backbone is money, but you're doing with a mindset of impact. So um, it was a weird roller coaster of a career so far, and I'm sure there'll be some more twists and turns ahead. But um, it was it was kind of planted years ago. And the path doesn't have to be one that's straight from one <laughs> one connection to the next. For those that are listening, that are have that same mindset and are experiencing the same thing, you know, a bit of a calling and knowing that it's building skills towards that calling. What helped you uh, as you transition from different roles, but you know, with a clear 
you know, it seems like there's a clear thread of wanting to give back. What advice do you give to students or others that are, you know, maybe struggling with that? How did you manage it? Yeah, I, you know, at Ivy, one of the best programs I was a part of that really was central to my experience at Ivy was the Leader Project. And it was this immediate way that I could, you know, be learning as a student, but immediately apply it and, and to work with small um, small enterprises in Eastern Europe and to consult and to teach. And so I, I love that kind of um, mixing of what seems like two separate worlds that, that they aren't. And so, you know, my advice to students is just say yes. Like if opportunities come up, even if they don't pay, if somehow you can squeeze your finances to make it work, say yes to opportunities that will push you. Say yes to working with people that you can learn from. Like see it as a part of the investment, like you're paying tuition, right? Like just as, as much as you can. And I know I say that and it's it's not easy to do. And um, working for free in the summer, very little finances is is not an easy thing to say yes to. But the payoffs on what I learned from those experiences that were outside the box um, you know, contributes to the rest of my career for sure. And it's cool that the leader project is still ongoing, even in the midst of, uh, of COVID challenges right now. I know that they're planning some blended and online, uh, initiatives right as we speak now. So that's cool that you, that you did that while you're at, at Ivy and it still is a great opportunity for, for students to get involved. Now I want to go to next. Can you tell us a little bit more about you, you know, you mentioned philanthropy and, and some of the work that you're doing. Could you talk a little bit about the organization? Yeah. So I, I work with Community Foundations of Canada. And so you may or may not have heard of us, uh, but we are a national network of 191 community foundations. So the question is, what's a community foundation? Um, we, you know, community foundations are philanthropic organizations. They uh, direct grants, investments, leadership towards community initiatives. And so across country, we have more than 90% of Canadian communities have access to a community foundation. Collectively, our network manages over $6 billion. And it's a boots on the ground type of network. So our community foundations, they have community in the name. They know their communities. They know what the needs are. They work with partners locally to serve. And so at the national level, my, my role is, is to look for opportunities, things we've never done before, um, to say, how can we scale impact? And, and usually at a national level. And how has that shifted, you know, with the, you know, the last year being being what it is, you know, you've mentioned traveling before and opportunity to go to different communities. You know, how has the organization shifted? How are you spotting opportunities that lie within, you know, challenging times? Yeah. So, you know, like many organizations, regardless of your industry, as the pandemic hit, we had to say, okay, well, we were working on all of these projects. What are we pausing? What are we pivoting? And what are you proceeding with? And so some things had to go on pause and some are still on pause. Um, but as we are you know, working with community foundations who are working directly with charities and nonprofits, we just immediately heard the need, right? As COVID hit, you know, those who were in vulnerable contexts before COVID, it just got worse. And so if you think of homeless shelters had to start limiting its capacity or turning people away. Um, persons with disabilities didn't have the same access to programs and services and some were in isolated um, circumstances. And the list goes on and on. And so that really became, okay, well, we're community foundations. How do we respond to the needs of community? And a lot of my work with, you know, with, with team members was doing the advocacy piece at the beginning, saying, hey, government, federal, provincial, municipal, 
hey, this is the need. It's so great. And what we saw before COVID is is in a much more dire position now. And I want to go back to those meetings because uh, many of us listening, myself included, uh, have had to have some of those meetings where we talk about what are we going to do moving forward? And those are exciting and fun, lots of opportunities. But then there's the difficult conversations around what are we going to stop doing? And that must be hard for you in that position, wanting to give back. And that's the core uh, good of the of the organization. How did you manage those conversations internally? And, and do you have any tips for those going through that tough conversation about having to cut things? You know, how did you manage it? Yeah, it, it wasn't easy. And I feel like it's not a, a one-time decision. It's a, it's a question you keep asking yourselves as a week proceed. Are we still pausing this? Are we still able to proceed with this? Should we continue to pivot this? And so, you know, thankfully I had my team internally to talk through, okay, how do we see this folding out? What new priorities have popped up? Um, in the meantime. And so, you know, we rarely work in isolation. And so we work with many partners. And so part of it was calling partners and saying, how are you doing? What are you seeing? We were working on this project. Should we both put it on a shelf for now? Or should you take the lead? Or should I take the lead? And so it's it's relationship management, right, in the midst of um, limited capacity. So not a one and done. It's a constant communication because things are changing um, uh, so rapidly. Uh, for the things that you are able to continue doing, can you talk about you know some of the things that you're most proud of or excited about moving forward? Yeah, I mean, for, for my work, because I was really in this exploratory model, um, and um, some of them are, they were on pause, and now they're in, in the pivot piece. But my work really shifted on that advocacy piece to government saying there is this dire need we need to act now communities charities nonprofits are trying to serve those who are in the most vulnerable context and so um, i did get a call from the government of canada saying we're gonna um, create a 350 million dollar emergency community support fund and we'd like community foundations of canada along with united way and red cross to implement this and so um, that has taken over my year. <laughs> 2020 is definitely defined by, by that work of saying, you know, from, from when I got the call and when we signed the agreement with government, we had nine business days to go from words on a paper to implementing a nationwide program that got money to charities and nonprofits serving those in vulnerable contexts. How, how do you do that in nine days? <laughs> what was the key? What, what enabled you to... To get, like you said, from the paper to 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 implementing so quickly. Yeah, we had to get really crystal clear on what were the principles as we work, right? Because there's so many pieces to this. So what are the key principles? So we focus in on two. The first one is this is emergency funding. So just because we've done something a certain way before, it has to be with an emergency mindset, which means it cannot take very long and it has to be done virtually because all of us are working from our homes. Um, and the second one was around equity. We know even in the early days of COVID, we saw it and it's, you know, and it's the evidence shows now of how COVID impacted those um, disproportionately. And so how do we create an equitable framework in the way we do this so that those users are at the center? That comes from how the applications formed, that comes from how we create awareness, that, that comes from how decisions are made. And so, um, you know, once we kind of created those key principles of emergency and equity, um, we needed a team. So there was like three of us working on it in early days. And, you know, I just felt like I created these to-do lists and I felt like this mountain of work, of program design, of creating 
awareness of onboarding community foundations of government relations and 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 every day I was like we've only moved a pebble we've hardly gotten one thing off the list and so our team of three within days grew to a team of 18 and you know this diversity of experience and skill sets technology design storytelling uh, community engagement and it was just incredible to see once that team came together how uh, the program unfolded. And I want to, you mentioned that you, the United Way is also a, a big part of, you know, the implementation here. And in a, in a recent conversation with Corinne Peters, she works for uh, uh, Major League Baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays. She talked about how different organizations work together. Can you talk about, for, uh, from your example, how did you work with some of the other organizations to make this happen? Yeah, so we were working so closely um, with United Way Century Canada and Canadian Red Cross. And, you know, all of us had different agreements with government, but collectively we were implementing the $350 million emergency community support fund. And it's interesting because I go back to that relationship building. You're, you're trying to implement a fund with partners you never actually met. And you don't have the benefit of saying, let's go for coffee. Let's have lunch. Let's get to know each other. Let's build that trust. But, you know, it was an amazing experience of how really three strangers um, and, and three strangers of, of teams can can come together and say, well, we're going to create a unified front. We're going to do this together. So our teams were talking at least on a weekly basis, if not every day, as we were making our individual plans and processes and, and to communicate to the public as a united front. And so I think that was such a key gem that came out of this process is how even in a virtual context, even with people you've never met, how you really can work together to to deliver something at a national scale. I, I you know, I want to. You talk about communication. You talk about the regularity of the communication. You've got a common mission between the different organizations. Was there anything else that stood out as okay? This was a key to getting this to work. Did, was there like one meeting? Was there a tool that you used to make this happen? Yeah, I would say you know having a level of trust and transparency and, and, and leaning into both of those. And those go hand in hand. It's hard to be transparent if there's not trust. Um, and without trust, how are we going to get to transparency? And so, um, you know, between us saying, we're just going to, we're going to talk to each other honestly about what's working well, what's not working. And when things aren't working, maybe, you know, one of us can help the other around the table. And so really being diligent to say, we're going to set a meeting at least once a week. It's in our calendar still to say, we're just going to give updates. And also, here's my cell phone number. So call me anytime and we can work it through. And so that type of level um, just goes from kind of walking. And, you know, when you we talk about partnerships a lot, but, you know, real partnership is that you're, you're actually walking in lockstep together. And so I, I'm not sure how you do that without trust, transparency, and, and constant communication. Is there anything looking back that you would have done slightly different or, or a lesson learned through, you know, this rapid, rapid implementation and lots of partners and not to mention a, a huge geographic region? Mm -hmm. You know, I, as you say that question, I think, I think we make about 10 little pivots a day. Like it's just a constant because this emergency mindset is, you know, you make a plan and by the time the week's up, something's changed in terms of realities. But so there's just kind of this this mindset saying we're going to constantly be on our toes, willing to pivot um, on our decisions and our implementation. But if I take a step back, um, you know, some of the key learnings and changes that we had made. So one, if I go back to the key principle of equity. And so we have this firm belief that organizations that represent the communities they serve are better equipped to serve them. 
So if I take an example of food hampers, food security was a big issue across the country because of COVID. And so you say, okay, well, we know that this low income community needs food hampers, but it matters what's in the hamper. And it's the community that's part of that, you know, the organization that's part of that community that knows, you know, I'm, I'm East Indian. So I want curry, <laughs> you know, that's going to make me feel at home. It's not just any food to fill my belly, but actually, how do you, how do you know the cultural nuances of those you are serving? And so we know that, but when we launched on May 19th and we, it was, we're already in the market, you're like, we're not asking that question. How do we know? We know who they're serving. We don't know who the organizations are. And so, you know, that was a piece that said, it's really hard to make a substantial change like that once we're already launched, but it's the right thing to do. It's going to lead to better decision-making. And so, you know, a few weeks in, we made a pivot, updated our application form, updated our resources, went with some new messaging to say, we're going to prioritize organizations that represent the communities they serve. And so I think keeping that equitable mindset in in the details, like an application form, like a decision-making matrix matters. And so um, this is one, yeah, one piece that we really had a pivot post-launch. Now, with so much challenge and change happening so quickly, you know, as a leader, it's always important to sit back and reflect on the good that you've done and share that with your team. Can you think of, you know, any stories of a a vulnerable group or or a person that's given you feedback that makes you go this this is why I do this. Have you had any of those moments that you that you could share with us? Yeah, it's definitely like the goldmine of this job is hearing the most incredible stories of how communities are serving one another in the midst of a of a global pandemic. And for the team because it was like long days, sleepless nights, early mornings, weekends, you know, if you know my Ivy days I compared to the 48-hour report that just kept going. You know, to, to do that, um, you have to sometimes say, why am, you know, it's, I'm so exhausted. And so that North Star is to the why. And the whole team really rallied over, why are we doing this? What is the critical funding that the communities need? So a couple of examples in, in Lethbridge, Alberta, um, there was a, there is a project that's helping prisoners who are being released from prison early because of COVID to have transitional housing. Because as they get released early, a lot of them don't have a place to go. So they'll end up homeless or in shelters. And so there's a program to help them transition. Um, in Surrey, BC, there's a project to help women who are homeless or at risk to, to know about how to protect themselves around coronavirus, to get them PP&E, to get them groceries, basic, basic needs. There were camps that were redesigned for, for um, children so that it could be outside, but to do it safely. Um, there are stories of... Um, individuals who were um, deaf and blind and living in isolation and it, you know in their day-to-day that they need to touch they need to touch to be able to communicate with the world and being unable to do that having them have a support person to work with them and kind of navigate these new realities so the stories are coast to coast to coast of just incredible ways organizations and communities are pivoting to respond and you know digging deeper into some of those stories and those are you know both great to hear it's in it's enlightening it's things we don't often see in our maybe our day-to-day and sitting sitting here in london you know how has covid impacted those that were already having you know very challenging times can you maybe dig in dig into that a little bit more because that's something that our audience should know about and you know then the follow-up is how can we get involved how can we help make a difference absolutely you know i in the last couple of weeks, I've I've been engaging virtually with about 200 
organizations across the country, um, specifically from Black, Indigenous, and uh, other racialized communities. And as we go back to that question around equity, how do we support organizations that represent the communities they serve? So many racialized communities, the organizations that serve them are grassroots. And when you're a grassroots organization, you are often left out of funding opportunities. You don't have the charitable status. You don't even have nonprofit status. And so as, as I heard from these communities right across the country tell of the great needs of their, of their community, the racism towards um, Asian communities across the country because of COVID, um, the you know unwilling to go to local businesses or restaurants because of systemic racism. And, and we know that racialized communities are getting hit harder. And then the, the system's not built in a way that they can access funding. And so, you know, that that piece hit hard. It hit really personal. I was I still constantly am thinking about, okay, well, what can we do that's um, that's a more long-term piece? So what can we do specifically in this program to make pivots and to help those organizations? And there's there's a there's a variety of kind of changes that we made to help but we know that that's not gonna solve it. And so where can we lead our voice into our relationship with partners and government and other stakeholders? And so, you know, I, I would say to anyone listening, um, if there are communities that you know of that you can offer um, funding to that are grassroots, um, that you can offer any services um, to to help them, um, those groups are, are in need, that they are they are showing up as much as they can in incredible ways to serve, um, but they are often left out of our, our funding structures. Where can we go to get more information? Like what's your organization's website? What are some, some blogs or resources that a listener can go and say, I want to learn more about this because I want to get involved? What would you suggest? Yeah, I would definitely recommend, um, you know, our website is www.communityfoundations.ca. And so please visit there and you can find a map that shows a local community foundation in your area. So um, talk to your local community foundation. They are in touch with nonprofits, charities, qualified donees, non-qualified donees, grassroots organizations. So so be in touch with them as to, you know, how you can um, support locally. Um, but I would also on a kind of industry level, if you're interested in this topic, Imagine Canada has been doing incredible reports and research on what is the current state in Canada. Um, Ontario nonprofit ne- network specifically to Ontario is looking at how is COVID impacting nonprofits. And so um, there is so much information out there. Um, I think for us as individuals, it can feel overwhelming. I know I can feel overwhelmed saying the global pandemic. I can acknowledge that there are systemic barriers, but what can I do? And so, you know, I think we each of us have incredible spheres of influence. And if COVID has shown us anything, it shows how individuals are interconnected. And so what can you do as an individual in your sphere of influence? If you're a student, who's a classmate you haven't seen or heard from lately? Check check in on them. That makes a difference. Um, When you're looking at summer jobs, ask the companies what, what they what their work is around diversity and inclusion. If you're a parent, um, expose your kids, have discussions with them about the inequities in our world. I know as, as I, when I was a kid, my parents sat with me and it, and it made a profound impact in my life. If you're a CEO, what platforms do you have? Whose voices do you amplify? Who's at your decision-making table? Um, you know, the list goes on. So I think it's so important that we don't get caught up in there's this big problem and there's nothing I can do about it when there's actually very tangible things that we can do in our day to day. 
That's that's fantastic and a great list of resources. I want to go next to, um, you know, when you think about Ivy or business grads in general, we think of entrepreneurship, big banks, maybe starting your own business. You know, going back to your reasons for a pers- pursuing a career in the not-for-profit, talk about your reasons, but also almost talk to the, you know, the current students or those thinking of a career change right now convince and and talk to those great reasons for thinking, giving not-for-profit a a, a real good, hard look, because there are some amazing opportunities in the area. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'll admit, so before being in this role full-time and in this, in this sector full-time, before I was in private practice and after that I was in, you know, banking. And so there's a perception that this nonprofit charitable philanthropic sector is slow. You know, you kind of go there to chill out at the end of your career. Um, I have been amazed at the hustle, at the innovation. I think I have worked longer hours some days and I worked in the, you know, in the law firm, but just this impetus for change. And so it's a question of there's so many ways that you can give back. There's so many ways that you can use your skill sets. You might have study to be a consultant or work in consumer packaged goods or an iBanker. And that's awesome. And there's so many things you can do from that role as well. But our, our skill sets are transferable. And so in, through your volunteer time, through a career change, through mentorship, um, there are so many avenues for you to use what you've learned, what you're learning um, to, to apply elsewhere. And, you know, I, I'll say leaving the corporate world so to pursue a job full time into a sector I was new to was a risk and it's a whole other podcast about the story about making that change. You know, it's, it's not all flower and daisies. If you want to, if you want to make big changes in your life, it takes risks and it takes some sacrifice to make that happen. I'm so glad where I've landed. I feel extremely privileged in my day-to-day work and the people I get to work with. Um, and it was worth the risk, but it took some real hustle and grind to figure out a pathway from law and banking over to uh, philanthropy. And, you know, the last thing I want to want to ask you is that, you know, Canada is known as a caring country. Uh, what I'm hearing from you is there's always more that we can do. We can give back in so many ways, you know, through our through our funds, through our time, through our skills sharing. What would you leave the listeners with? You know, how would you motivate and, and push our listeners to get involved? You know, as I mentioned, we're known to be caring. Are we caring enough? How how do you push the audience? What would you like to leave them with? Yeah, I've been so inspired. Um, you know, even before the launch of this fund, I was so inspired. I was hearing stories because our network is right across this country. I was hearing stories of how individuals showed up for their community. And COVID's not over, unfortunately. And we know whenever there's a vaccine and whenever it's safe to give each other hugs, there's still going to be lasting social economic impacts. And so you know, I, I push, I want to push any of you listening today to really look at your spheres of influence and really look at those who may be excluded and find ways at an individual and corporate level to include them. Because, you know, I, I am concerned that there are groups that are going to be left behind, but I think it's through individual and corporate acts that we go from groups being left behind to to changing systems and, and creating a Canada that we are proud and it's vibrant and it's sustainable and it's inclusive. Melanie, thank you so much, so much for taking the time to to not only just share your journey, but to share what you're seeing 
and what you're seeing in your job uh, across Canada in communities big and small. Uh, what I'm really hearing is that, you know, as Ivy grads, I'm an Ivy grad, um, we have had such a great op opportunity to learn to advance our skills. And there are tons of opportunities for us to continue to make uh, Canada a caring and giving country where our communities don't overlook anybody. So thank you so much for, for taking the time. Thank you for having me. This was a, an honor and a pleasure. Thanks again for being with us. And I hope you join us next time for the season two finale. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. See you next time.